You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted, and it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! Thanks for pressing play on this special episode of the Tune Out CFL Podcast. I'm Travis Curra, and while the Canadian Football League season may have come to a close, we have one more Canadian football game to go. In Kingston, Ontario, it is the 58th Vanier Cup happening this Saturday between the UBC Thunderbirds and the Montreal Caravan. I will be joined by U Sports Color Commentator uh, Andrew Barlett. He used to play for the Concordia Stingers, and he was actually just on color commentary for the UTEC Bowl between the Western Mustangs and the Montreal Caravan. So I will be talking to him about U Sports football and the Vanier Cup very, very soon. The championship parade has happened in Montreal, and to see the images from that city is absolutely incredible. Don't tell me people don't care about the Canadian Football League. Montreal loves a winner, and man, were they out in full force supporting those Alouettes, and the ratings are in for the 110th Grey Cup. The Grey Cup continues to be one of the most watched programs on television every year in Canada. An average of 3.7 million viewers watched it on TSN and RDS. It's an increase of 9% over last year, and a total of 8.9 million Canadian viewers watched some or all of the game, and the audience peaked at over 5 million as the Owls clinched the game in the final minute against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. There already is some off-season news to go over, signings, extensions, things like that, and it starts with the Argos who have extended the contracts of four offensive coaches, including the receivers coach and pass game coordinator Pete Costanza, quarterbacks coach Mike Miller, who has actually been absent from the Argos for the last several weeks. And look, he was really big in the development of Chad Kelly this year. Some wonder if the absence of him really hurt the Argos and Chad Kelly in the East final against the Alouettes, but that is history. He'll be back next season. Offensive line coach Chris Sweet and running backs coach and run game coordinator Edwin Harrison have all been extended by the double blue. As far as players go, the Calgary Stampeders have extended defensive lineman James Vodders. That was a big injury for their team over the summer, and if he was actually hurt a few weeks earlier might have seen things completely different over the course of this season. Maybe Sean Lemon returns to red and white instead of the red, white, and blue in Montreal. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have extended quarterback uh, Antonio Pipkin. Uh, that was announced on Thursday. What energy he brought and brings to the team, especially on short yardage. And their search continues for a head coach. Will it be Corey Mace? Will it be Jordan Maximic, Buck Pierce? Will it be Scott Milanovic? 
I'm sure we will know that answer sooner rather than later. The BC Lions have uh, also extended defensive lineman Steven Stove Richardson. He's been dealing with some injuries, two Achilles injuries. And if he's back on the defense in the upcoming season, that'll be big for their run-stopping ability, which they're going to want to do if they're going to want to compete with the Brady Oliveras of the world, who I guess will be trying his hand at the National Football League in the offseason with a few workouts already lined up. And we go off the field again with the Edmonton Elks as they held a press conference on Thursday. They have announced a five-person committee to conduct a review of the ownership structure in Edmonton. Now, here's the deal. They did say that they're confident in their ability to operate in 2024 thanks to the trust fund that has been built over the years in Edmonton. They're saying they've had strong season seat renewals and the support of sponsors and fans in Edmonton to carry the team into next year. However, they said they will need new investment before the end of the 2024 season to ensure the club is positioned to succeed for years to come. It does appear that these Edmonton Elks, the way it is right now, uh, are pretty close to private ownership and uh, leaving the community ownership model that has been in place in Edmonton for so, so many years, unless things really just turn around uh, going into next season and Rick Lalisher can uh, do his part in increasing the attendance in Edmonton. But more wins, I believe, equals more fans, but we're probably closer than ever than we've ever been to private ownership in that city of champions. Well, I guess that catches you up on what's been happening in the CFL over the past uh, few days since the 110th Grey Cup. But let's talk about the 58th Vanier Cup with Andrew Barlett. And even though the Grey Cup is in the books, we do not have an end to Canadian football just yet. The 58th Vanier Cup is coming up this weekend in Kingston, Ontario. And joining me to talk about it is Andrew Barlett. You may have seen him covering some of the national semifinals over the weekend. Thanks a lot for doing this, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Travis. So I guess I better ask you about those uh, semifinals this past weekend. I, I want to start with Montreal beating Mon- or Western 29 to 3. When yeah. I see Western getting beat like that, I'm shocked. Was it as uh, shocking for you as well? Absolutely. I mean, I think that Western wasn't the favorite coming into this game, but I think a lot more people had higher expectations. I think that Hillock and the whole Western offense was a little stunted from the beginning, very similar to what we saw in the Eastern final between the Toronto Argos and the Montreal Alouettes, where it was, you had one turnover and then it was pretty much all Montreal, all game on both the Eastern final in the uh, 
with the Alouettes and with the University of Montreal, Cahabang. There's a few things there. So Hillock, if those viewers don't know, was coming into the game a little banged up. So against Laurier in the Yates Cup, he was out for the majority of the second quarter, pretty much the whole third quarter, and came in during the fourth quarter. So he really only played half that game on both bookends of the game. And when he wasn't in the game, Laurier had a lot more going on for them. Western didn't as much. So we're looking at a team that throughout the season, Hillock had, what, the number two yards per game offensively, uh, the number one touchdown passes, and Western was averaging over 500 yards per game. And they were coming up. So that's the number one offense in U Sports coming up against what was the number one defense in U Sports against University of Montreal. So we knew it was going to be a battle of the juggernauts. But I think that he was coming and banged up. There was pressure early on. And I think he was a little shaken up. Western, obviously, without their top two running backs throughout the regular season. So they were on with Dolby and with Troy Thompson, number three and four, who had phenomenal games in and of themselves. They averaged over seven yards per carry, collect like each of them individually and collectively, obviously. That's impressive. But we're looking at six first-half turnovers by the Western offense, eight total. And I think like anyone, once you get in a, a groove like that, you're kind of shaken. We saw a little bit of light for Western at the beginning of the second half. But I don't think the score was really a true tell of the individual offensive statistics. And I'll tell you why. They were pretty much head-to-head in the total yards offensively. They were just under 300 or so. The biggest difference was the turnover game and the penalties. Mm -hmm. Western had twice as many penalties as Montreal. And the turnovers, I mean, Montreal really only had one uh, had one offensive turnover. It was a one-for-one. One. It was uh, Western than Montreal to start off the game, but then we saw seven unanswered turnovers uh, forced by Montreal. And if you look at it, it really was Montreal's ability to control the field position. They only had one touchdown off of those turnovers of the eight, but they were able to control the field position throughout the whole game. The biggest thing also in the box score, if you look at it, the second second quarter. Well, the Alouettes only had the one touchdown against the Argos, so yeah, <laughs> that's quite, exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and Montreal, the Caravan, they they've only they haven't allowed a touchdown all playoffs. So no. clearly, this defense is is very successful in giving teams a lot of trouble heading into the Vanier Cup. There's one thing with the University of Montreal that people don't really realize is that they have probably the most physical and intimidating and dominating defenses and special teams units throughout the U sports. I mean, you're looking at some juggernauts that are huge, like Western and Laurier and just massive individuals out there at, at Laval, but no one is going to have you felt more beat up after a game than University of Montreal, especially when it's at Montreal. And I can speak to this in more detail if you want, uh, but easily the most intimidating 
home field advantage in all of you sports. And I can say that confidently. Well, yeah. Tell me what it's like to be going to a game at the university of Montreal then. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking at it throughout the OUA, the closest is going to be Western, but it's not even close. The AUS, no one really competes uh, when it comes to like the home field advantage in the can West, maybe university of Saskatchewan. Um, they have a really good loyal following. The stadium is more intimate than if you're mm-hmm. playing at uh university of Regina, which is at uh, like where the riders play or yeah. um, Manitoba where the bombers play or Calgary, where the um, stampeders play those, those stadiums are just too big. Right. Um, and they're not conducive. Laval on that front, like they average around 18,000 per game, Montreal closer to 10 or 12. But Laval, you have a full track behind the, oh, the okay. benches. Okay. And the stadium is so big and, and spread out that when you're on the field, you can actually hear yourself think. You can actually speak to the guy next to you. You can yell across the bench and you'll be heard by your coach. When you're at Montreal, first, before the game even starts, you have to walk up about 10 flights of stairs as the opposing team. Oh, wow. Once you're there, you have to walk past the entrance slash viewing area of a restaurant slash bar just to get to the field. Once you're at the field level, you're already under the stadium. The first three rows or so are covering the backside of the bench. So if you actually want some sanity, you can go there, but you're then kind of covered by this overhang. And then once you're actually on the bench and really close to the field, it's really only about 20 to 25 yards wide because there's these concrete barriers that are stairs that lead up to the stadium. And it's really hectic. It's it's the frenetic energy is like nowhere else. Wow. And then just you 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 look at it from all of that aside, when you're actually on the field, there's this 45 degree overhang. Um, and I know Acadia has a small overhang like that, and uh, U of S has a bit of one. University of uh, UBC has a small one, but the way that it's situated at Montreal is it reverberates the sound from the stands. And then you have those classic air horns that they have at... uh, I heard them at the UTEC. (laughs) You can hear it through the stadium uh, speakers uh, when you're watching it on on, uh, the broadcast. And, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where... You can't even speak to the guy next to you. Your silent count has to be on point. You'll never hear the guy uh, on the other side of the bench and your head is spinning if you're on the opposing team's offense or even special teams. Defense, it's a little bit less because uh, you can pretty much hear a pin drop in there. Um, but you have loyal fans. And those those fans for Laval, University of Montreal, they follow the team around. They're not just, you know, students. Um, they're right, not just okay. the, a few alumni. I would say the students and the alumni there are a minority, and you're having locals that are the majority. That's wow. That's really yeah, cool. So when you played for Concordia, did you get to play uh, there against them and experience that as a player? Then, yeah, and that's why I can speak to it yeah. so confidently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. And there's this phenomenon I was I was watching on like an Instagram video or a TikTok or something where it's like 
people are almost having like an amnesia after a big event. Like say it's a Taylor Swift concert. People are like, I don't remember half of that concert. Like, right, right. What is happening? Am I getting memory loss? It's like, I'll say to the people, I wasn't hitting the head during these games, but any of the games that I played at university of Montreal, I can't remember half the game because the energy wow. is so frenetic that you're almost on like adrenaline. You're running on pure adrenaline. Whereas Laval, I can remember all of those games and I could tell you pretty much like the box score or like a play that I made or a play that I got burned on or something like that. Right. Right. Now yeah. I, I did talk to some Queens fans. They're pretty happy that Montreal ended up winning over the weekend, but, uh, are we going to be hearing some of those horns at the Vanier Cup, you figure, on Saturday? Totally. I mean, yeah. Montreal travels with their team. It's a two-and-a-half-hour via. It's a two-and-a-half-hour bus. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. These fans, if they're not staying over so that they can uh, so that they can tailgate before the game, they're coming first thing in the morning, so they're tailgating, and they're going to be there partying thereafter. Uh, these are some, it's a loyal fan base. And then if you look at it, they're going to be overrun. They're going to be overrunning the UBC fans because that's, that's like what, 3,000 miles, I think, from Vancouver to yeah, yeah. Kingston. Yeah. So I mean, and I'm excited for Richardson Stadium, beautiful stadium yeah. since those uh, um, renovations and that huge endowment by people like Stu Lang, um, former University of Guelph head coach. Uh, he gave a huge endowment to the school, uh, which helped fund that. Uh, funny enough, he is a Queens alum. Okay, cool. Now, uh, yeah. the the Thunderbirds, they're coming off the, the win against St. FX and the emotional win uh, on the last play against uh, the Golden Bears as well. So, I mean, they're on a bit of a roll here, but it looks like a tough situation, obviously, in the Vanier. But can you speak a little bit about their win over St. FX last week? Yeah, really balanced attack. Uh, they they are a strong team, uh, and it was just too much for St. FX. Uh, I don't think the AUS is really prepped to be fielding teams against mm. some of the top teams in the country. As well, I mean, you're looking at St. FX, and they had to travel pretty much the the longest domestic flight that you can have in the world. One of them, oh, somewhere yeah. up there with, like, say... I don't know. I would assume somewhere in Russia, uh, for true. lack of a yeah. better example. Um, but that being said, is that it's a, it's a really balanced team that was able to stay poised. I don't think they were ever on their heels. I don't think they ever doubted it. And when you're coming off those two wins against University of Alberta that a lot of people don't think UBC should have won, uh, I think that they had a lot of momentum coming into that game for the Mitchell Bowl. And it really showed. If you look at the box score, there was no single quarter that was overrun. They just did the small things right uh, and capitalized more than St. FX was able to do. And I guess maybe that speaks to Coach Blake Nail, who I guess we can call uh, U Sports coaching legend. Uh, it's his ninth Vanier Cup appearance. And the yeah. last time the Thunderbirds won, it was over Montreal. And it I believe was. that was 2015. Montreal had the back-to-back -back appearances there. So I, they've got the coaching in uh, UBC, but it just, I don't know, from the outside looking in, it looks like this is a pretty tall mountain to climb for UBC. Yeah. I mean, I you never. There's a few things that you never uh, underestimate, and, and one of those is a Blake Nil team. 
in the Vanier Cup or just in general in youth sports, right? He was legendary at St. Mary's. And the last time the, an AUS team was in the Vanier Cup in 2006 with Steve Samara, uh, they ended up losing to the University of Manitoba. But that team was largely a Blake Nill recruited team. Right. And then you had Nil go over to Calgary and have countless yeah. appearances. And then that 2015 win against what I assume was the favorite University of Montreal. I can't recall who was the favorite going into the game, but Montreal coming off of that last second win with the blocked field goal by JS Blanc in 2014 against the McMaster Marauders at Percival Molson Stadium in Montreal. And that was a game I was at extremely exciting. But then you're going into Laval against University of Montreal and diehard fans. That was a, an upset when Michael O'Connor in his first year, only one of two at the time, rookie quarterbacks that have won a Vanier Cup. I believe he was a redshirt on Penn State the prior year mm, coming out yeah. of... Uh, uh, he's from Ottawa. I can't recall if he was coming out of a prep school or if he was coming out of uh, Ottawa specifically going into being uh, recruited by Penn state. Uh, but we see, we see a really talented quarterback in, by uh, UBC out there um, uh, by Rooker and an American guy in his uh, third year. Uh, and he was number three in the yards per game um, passing throughout the season. I don't think we can underestimate a, a Blake Nill UBC team ever. Yeah, what do you think their path to victory is then? It, it, I mean, it, they're against a very stout defense that hasn't given up a touchdown. Uh, are the, the Thunderbirds are going to somehow try to play a defensive battle with Montreal, or how do you see that going? I think converting on third on um, second downs. Uh, is going to be the big thing. So not, I know you're the two and out podcast, yeah, yeah. but making sure they're not two and out. Yeah, yeah. And what we saw with Montreal this past week is that they didn't have any major plays and they offensively were held to a pretty decent game, even against a struggling Western offensive team. The 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 Western defense did a really good job at holding University of Montreal. I don't know if it's going to be as much of a defensive battle but i think the big thing is you need to be able to outscore uh jonathan senecal from university of montreal who is being touted as the most dynamic quarterback since trey ford in u sports and someone who is able to make a split decision play from just knowledge of the defense or what he sees in his read and react is something like we haven't seen since maybe Trey Ford or like a Kyle Quinlan at McMaster in their winning days or an O'Connor in the UBC winning days. So I think the keys honestly are, are to be able to have once again, a balanced attack because Montreal is so balanced on the defensive side and really convert the first downs. Would you say that Montreal has a weakness? What's something that they need to make sure that they, you know, have in tip-top shape on Saturday? I think the big thing is if you can control the passing game by Senecal, you're you're going to do better than most. He's obviously a threat in the air and on the scrambles. 
Montreal, I haven't been as impressed this season as years past with their run game. So I think if you can control Senegal and force Montreal to run, that could be a key for this University of British Columbia Thunderbird team. I want to ask you about Senegal and basically just what we've seen this past season in uh, the CFL. Uh, you mentioned Trey Ford. I mean, the excitement that he brought to the field in Edmonton. And even Tyson Philpot, the great yes. uh, most valuable Canadian. Uh, I've seen people talking about this crop of U sports uh, quarterbacks right now. Senegal, of course, leading the charge when it comes to them. It seems like the current crop of Canadian quarterbacks has a bright future as long as they continue to get those right opportunities. Yeah, I'm really excited about Elgersma, actually, from Laurier. Uh, a third-year player, just like Hillock. Uh, but I think it, it, it's funny. Western has such a balanced attack with running. Like, we saw their what started their season as four, five, and six, or sorry, three, four, and five string running backs getting touches in the UTEC Bowl, in the national semifinals. They've always had a strong run game. And there's more threats at receiver that Western has right now throughout this season than Laurier did have. And Elgersma right up there in one and two uh, for uh, yards per game, as well as uh, touchdowns total throughout the season. Um, that, that stat actually ahead of uh, Hillock. Wow. He's a bigger body. Um, something that we saw with like, say, uh, a Brad Sinopoli type, as opposed to a Trey Ford, although Sinopoli ended up playing his years as yeah. a receiver. Um, but there is a really good crop of not only youth sports, but Canadian talent. Uh, and obviously we see that with Nathan Rourke in, uh, from Ohio university out to then BC lions and then to uh, the Jaguars practice roster slash he was on their, their dress roster a few weeks ago, back to their practice roster. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, who knows what's coming for him? I know a lot of people keep saying, Hey, come on, there's injuries. Somebody trade for him or something like that. Right? But yeah, we just want to see Nathan work play. And he seems, I to guess be... we'll bring Flacco from the, yeah. uh, on the couch. Yeah, I know. That's stuff like that. I don't know. We, we, we've seen what he can do, and I think the fans want to see what he can do as well. Now, since I guess we talked before you were off the air, you've been out of youth sports playing uh, for about seven years now. Uh, how have you seen the talent across the country evolve since your playing days came to an end? I think that there was... More, I think there's more of a chance that's given to these players. We're looking mm. at a league where, I mean, dating back to Eric Lavic, uh, Danny Brannigan, uh, Michael Falds, uh, Gab Cousineau at University of Montreal, a handful of uh, talent at, at, at Laval, uh, Michael O'Connor, where I think we're finally at a point in time where the development and the respect for Canadians are higher than ever within the CFL. I mean, we saw Brandon Bridge, who was at, uh, what was it, uh, University of, I can't even remember where he was. They were the Jaguars. 
Um, okay, yeah. But Brandon Bridge, where was that? Anywho, uh, he got some. He got a bit of playing time with the Alouettes uh, a handful of years yeah. ago. Uh, but but he was coming out of uh, I think it was a Div One Double A AA or Div Two program. And I mean, now you're seeing more and more players that are starters and going from CFL starters like Rourke to NFL opportunities or Trey Ford, who, I mean, I really think Chris Jones did him a bit of a disservice by not getting him in there earlier this season. I think a lot of us agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Bridge, uh, South Alabama Jaguars. Uh, And prior to him, there was a guy out of, uh, there was a guy out of uh, Vanier College in Montreal who played there, and I can't remember his name, Mm. but they had two Canadian quarterbacks in a row. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's it. Just seems like the future is bright. The 58th Vanier Cup coming up this weekend, and for the first, well, Montreal has an opportunity here to completely dominate the Canadian football landscape. And this hasn't happened since 1980, when the Golden Bears and the Edmonton uh, football team won the Grey Cup and the Vanier in the same year. It it seems like it could be a couple weeks of championship parades in Montreal if they can beat Blake Nill and the Thunderbirds. It looks like we're in for quite the game on Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. We haven't seen something like that in in my lifetime, um, and I think it really goes to show uh, just the a lot of it you'll see. And and there was that post game interview uh, in French with. Um, Oh, what's his face now from the Antoine Decroix? Decroix, yes. There's there's a passion in French Canada for Canadian football. I, I think that's really like no other, and it is really exciting to see. I'm excited for this game. Uh, I know that University of Montreal, even though these these players and a number of these coaches, the majority of these coaches weren't involved in the program at the time that they're going to want uh, to win this rematch of 2015. Right. Right. Are, are there still some fingerprints of Danny Machocha on the, on the program? He's only been gone for a couple of years. Yeah, of course there's fingerprints. I mean, the, the, the current coach, um, Adialuka. Yes. Yeah, Marco yeah. Adialuka. All these, it's, it's very, it's a very tight knit group, whether you're in uh, the Seja programs between what they call their like Div 1, 2, and 3, uh, and RSEQ at the university level, and even in the CFL level, when, when you're looking at uh, Machocha, I mean, he started with the St. Leonard Cougars, and I think that he was a ball boy in his like teens and really oh, wow. built his way up. So it's a really tight knit group, and I think that there's there's currently going to be quite a lot of fingerprints uh, from that era of the UDM Kehabeng uh, that will still be on this team, undoubtedly. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to talk U Sports for us. We got one more Canadian football game to watch in 2023 before the long, dark, cold off-season begins. So thanks for coming on the show to talk about it. Thanks, Travis. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.